Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Joe. And Joe, uh, we we started SEC Media Days this week, and I thought it would be appropriate to name this episode SEC Media Haze because to me, after last season, I mean, it was almost like you didn't really even know when SEC Media Days was going to happen because they canceled it last year, and it just seems almost weird to be back to the normal city that you have with SEC Media Days in person. Mm-hmm. No, it, it very much is that. You had you know, some coaches like Lane Kiffin who were hired last year that this is actually their debut for SEC Media Days with their respective new school. And then, of course, you have a lot of roster turnover with um, several new head coaches, especially in the East and also with your Auburn Tigers. That's right, Joe. Uh, Brian Harson is going to get to do his first SEC Media Days tomorrow with Bo Nix and Owen Papo, the two uh, star juniors, a quarterback and linebacker, being there for Auburn. So I'm actually going to tune in. He's coming on tomorrow at noon. I think it should be interesting to see what he does and what is being going to be a very different uh, environment for him speaking than what he saw at Boise State. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely a lot different than what the Mountain West Media Days, if there is such a thing. I don't even know if there is a Mountain West Media Days. <laughs> if there is one, it's definitely on a completely different level than what you typically see in Hoover. Um, and I think it's also going to be you know, a lot more fanfare because of who he's bringing with him. Because in recent years, I can't think of two more popular players that Auburn has had with them than Bo Nix and Owen Papo uh, in terms of how many people know who they are followed him, and uh, when it comes to Bo Nix, uh, been puzzled by him. Puzzled by his greatness at times, and puzzled by his complete inaccuracy and inconsistency at other times. That's a good way to characterize it, and it'll be interesting to see how you know he handles the questions tomorrow, and you know what will be a big year for him entering his uh, junior season at Auburn. Um, I watched some of the videos and highlights of some of the coaches that have already um, gone to the microphone over the last couple of days. I, of course, you know, with, due to the biased nature of our show, played, paid uh, very close attention to uh, Lane Kiffin. I watched his press conference at the uh, center stage in its entirety. And then also watched uh, Nick Saban, some of his points. I watched a little bit of Mike Leach. And I watched uh, Chris Lee, the new coach at Vanderbilt as well. And just a few takeaways I had, Dan, from those uh, segments. With Mike Leach, uh, he humorously did two things I thought that were noteworthy. First and foremost, he did not have an introduction written out. He walked up to the microphone and basically said, I don't have anything. I really don't like introductions. You guys are going to ask me what you want to ask, so just go, go for it. That's all he did. <laughs> And then Mike Leach also said that he would like to see, when asked about the 12-team playoff in college football coming up, he would like to see a 64-team playoff. And so I did want to get your reaction to that story. I mean, Joe, I'm sure he's absolutely joking on that because you wouldn't even need to have a regular season if that's what you were doing. Uh, Basketball is a very different sport than football. So when you have the NCAA tournament in basketball, you can afford to have 64 teams back in the day, now 68 teams. Football, if that's what you're going to do, then you might as well go ahead and get rid of uh, the teams that are not in the Power Five and only have 
four conferences with 16 teams and just do it like that if that's what you really wanted. And Joey saying that in a joking manner, but also let's be real, that's probably the only way that Mississippi State would ever win a national championship in football. I thought you were about to say national championship, then we have to stop ourselves. I can't, I can't say that anymore, Joe. Uh, they've now taken <laughs> care of that. They've won their first national championship in baseball, so it's ruined my favorite joke when it comes to Mississippi State sports. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So Leach was entertaining. Um, Nick Saban was kind of more of the same. He talked about losing, you know, Sarkeesian in the six first round draft picks, but obviously, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for them reloading with all the talent, having Bryce Young, you know, in town. Um, I wanted to say about Lane Kiffin's segment that stood out to me. He was asked a lot of different topics, everything from his thoughts on Twitter. Um, all the way to his thoughts on Matt Corral and Jerry and Ely. And the one thing, Dan, that stood out to me with Lane Kiffin is that he's not as much coach speak as a lot of these other guys. Like, I almost feel like when he's in a press conference, he's having a conversation with us and the reporters. Like, he's more, like, forthcoming. He's not, you know, speaking above your head, that kind of thing. And I really do appreciate how he approaches the media answers. Well, I've always liked Lane Kiffin because I feel like he's pretty real. I mean, he, what you see is what you get with him. He doesn't really yeah. seem to ever fluff anything or you right avoid questions. I mean, even when you had this past week uh, a random Mississippi State fan on Twitter uh, put out an accusation that he had gotten a former Ole Miss cheerleader pregnant, uh, Lane Kiffin, instead of, like, you know, getting off Twitter, which I'm sure what everybody would like him to do, he instead made fun of the Mississippi State's grammar in the post on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, I love Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's going to be like, all right, this guy's going to post something stupid that's probably inaccurate. I'm just going to make fun of his grammar for it. Right, right. And that's no, he's very real. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I like what you said. He's very real with how he approaches everything. And he also you know, acknowledged that at the same time he's matured a lot since 12 years ago when he was there with Tennessee and talking about, you know, beating Florida and singing a Rocky Top. And so he's, he's come a long way. And, and you almost forget about those days because so much has transpired over the last 12 years with him being at USC and working under Saban at Alabama and then being at Florida Atlantic. I almost forget, you know, that when Ole Miss heads to Knoxville later this season, that he'll be returning to Tennessee as a former head coach. Well, and, and Joe's even more forgettable is the best, the best season that Tennessee has had in 12 years is that one year he was there and they won eight games. How pathetic is that? <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they maybe had a season or two where they won eight. But, yeah, yeah, they had, I don't think they've eclipsed eight in 12 years. That's so crazy because, I mean, we were kids. Like, you know, Tennessee had Peyton Manning and T. Martin. They won a national championship. They were – Always, either them or Florida were the SEC championship, and Georgia was kind of an afterthought in the East. And then, you know, in 20 years, Tennessee hadn't done anything. I mean, they've been on the lower end of the SEC pretty much every year. And, I mean, you got kids that are, what, I mean, kids that are being recruited to play in Alabama and Tennessee that have never seen Tennessee beat Alabama. I mean, what, Saban got to Alabama in 2007. Tennessee's never beaten them. We're looking at 2021. You got kids at Alabama and Tennessee are probably offered scholarships that never in their life 
seen Tennessee beat Alabama in football? Did Tennessee beat them in 06? I don't, I don't know. I think they. I don't I think they did. Like, I'm pretty sure they didn't, actually. I was thinking, like, we may be close to almost 20 years already since uh, the last Tennessee win. I think it's 2005 because I feel like I've heard the quarterback who was in Tennessee when they last beat Alabama, like, get interviewed a bunch because it was 2005 when they did it. So, I think you're right. I think, okay. I think you're looking at 16-year-olds now who have never seen Tennessee beat Alabama. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely insane. You know, when you think about that rivalry, and you're right with the way uh, Tennessee was in the 1990s under Philip Fulmer. But uh, staying in state with Tennessee and talking about national championships, I was very intrigued by what Chris Lee, the new Vanderbilt coach, had to say. He said two things I thought that were noteworthy. Number one, he said that he doesn't want anybody to say that he's building like a smaller version of Notre Dame or smaller version of anybody at Vanderbilt. He said they're going to be their own identity. And then furthermore, he said that he's fully committed to building a championship program with Vanderbilt football. So I was like, okay, very interesting. So, Joe, I want to get your opinion on this. Why do you think it is that Notre Dame can be so good at football but Vanderbilt can't? I would say that there's two things I look at. Stylistically, I've never been a fan of Vanderbilt football with like how they run their offenses. And to me, they, they, they could use some innovation. I don't know, you know if he's going to help as a defensive guy, but that's one thing I've noticed. It's kind of like what Mississippi State football looked like before Dan Mullen got there with Prescott and got them you know, better offenses. Vanderbilt football, to me, always has pedestrian offenses. And then number two, I don't like the stadium and the setting. I just feel like that's just not an appealing place to play college football. And it's so um, far to the seller as far as, like, if you were to rank the stadium experiences, I think it's clearly 14th. And I think that that's a hard sell for some of your better SEC recruits. Well, Joe, you just look at, you know, all the benefits that Vanderbilt has. I mean, it's a it's a very high-level private institution, great college to go to. Uh, Nashville is one of the fastest-growing cities in America. I mean, it is so cool up there right now. Everybody and their mother wants to live in Nashville. And I don't understand, especially with the success you're seeing in their other sports, including baseball, for a while basketball was so good, why they can't be good at football, especially when you look at Notre Dame has consistently been good, Stanford has consistently been good. I mean, you can be a private liberal arts college that has a lot of, uh, a lot of endowments not be a public university and be pretty good at football. So it's it's always shocked me that Vanderbilt's never really been able to do it. I understand the SEC is a different kind of conference, but I've just never quite understood why Vanderbilt couldn't be that good. I really think the game day experience says a lot because you you look at comparing you know South Bend and that raucous environment to Vanderbilt. It's just it's just night and day. I feel like they've got to upgrade uh, those facilities if they want to. You know, contend, but obviously you got to win in order to excite the fan base. You're kind of, you know, caught between a, a rock and a hard place. Well, Joe, maybe part of Nashville being such a cool city might even hurt them to an extent because people are up there in Nashville taking a trip, doing a bachelor, bachelorette party, you know, whatever it is they're doing up in Nashville. They'll go to the game and they'll cheer on whoever the other team is. I mean, apparently you'll, you'll see a lot of Vanderbilt games where. They're playing LSU. There's more LSU fans than the same North Vanderbilt fans. I mean, it's terrible. No, you're right. I've actually talked to Georgia fans before that like to make that trip to Vandy, you know, 
other games they could go to. So you're right. Like, it kind of makes it tough that they have to kind of share their college town more than most SEC towns. And, I mean, you think about it with Nashville now having three-plus million people, anytime there's a game, there might be 100,000 of the other kind of fans that live in that city. Yeah, and you also, you're the, the only SEC town that has to contend with professional sports. You know, yeah. so I, I think it's, yeah, those are good points. Like, it, it's those factors. If they were in a, like, if they were in South Bend, Indiana, you know, you're the only, the only show in town means a lot. It does mean a lot. I mean, you're in Oxford, Mississippi. You're in Auburn, Alabama. You're all there is. You're in a college town that's completely centered around your university in every regard. And in the city of Nashville, Vanderbilt is just one of 50 things that people focus on. And it's probably exactly. it's closer to the 50 on that range than it is to the one. Meanwhile, when you're in Oxford, when you're in Tuscaloosa, when you're even in a city like Athens, which is a, a relatively sizable city, Georgia is still going to be the number one thing because it's the biggest public university in, in the state. Precisely. Precisely. But I think those are all good points with Bandy. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, Dan, to you, this is something I brought up before um, our show tonight, as far as uh, some speculation that's been floating around SEC media days. Um, there's talk about more conference realignment at some point, and specifically Oklahoma and Texas wanting to join the SEC. Uh, the commissioner was asked about it at media days. He kind of tried to deny it, kind of dodge the question. Texas A&M's uh, athletic director, Ross Bjork, is obviously really upset about this speculation for A&M's sake with the Texas market. What, what are your thoughts, your reaction to the speculation? Well, Joe, for me to believe that there's any ounce of validity to the speculation – I'd have to see the the uh, Longhorn Network no longer exists. Because I just don't think from a contractual standpoint that Texas could be added into the SEC when you have the SEC Network. The Longhorn mm-hmm. Network is, I mean, it's a boutique thing that you get with any kind of ESPN programming. They focus on it so much, there's no way that Texas would be able to be willing to get rid of the Longhorn Network as long as you have the SEC, and I can't imagine the SEC network being the power that it is, and I can't imagine the SEC network, you know, wanting to agree to share revenue with Texas when they're also making revenue from the Longhorn network. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a compelling point. That would make it tough with the Longhorn network. Um, yeah, and if you're, if you're Vanderbilt, you know, we talk about having to share um, a town with uh, – some other distractions. It's amazing to me how Texas is able to pull it off. I guess it's just, you know, such a different situation with, uh, with Austin. And it is weird because, I mean, Austin's like one of the coolest cities in America and definitely one of the coolest capital cities in America. And so many people love it and, you know, never yeah. leave when they go out there and visit it that they're able to maintain the kind of sports they have. But yet again, you're talking about, um, you know, a top 10 public university in America, not only in attendance, but also in, endowment and an academic uh, ability and opportunity. I mean, Texas is just an absolutely incredible school. But, but it is crazy. Another point there is that you talk about it being the capital city with your um, um, flagship university. It's amazing to me how rare that is for the flagship to actually be located in the capital city. You would think that that would be kind of more of a natural kind of common decision, but you know, so many of them, you know, like, 
Ole Miss with Oxford, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, you know, Georgia, Athens. There's not in the, in the capital city. No, I mean that is, that is a rare thing, Joe. I mean, you want to look at. I can't even think of another one off the top of my head that actually is in the capital. You know, like, not, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I can't, actually, South Carolina is the only other one I can think of. And that Columbia is a very different city than Austin. Mm-hmm. It's not generally right. considered a great city by any means, you know, or a great capital city. And that's the only other one that I can think of off the top of my head is South Carolina being located in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, that that is impressive. But hey, Joe, I, I like I said, I won't believe it until I, I hear word that the Longhorn Network is shutting down. Mm-hmm. If I were to hear that, then maybe I would lend some credence to it. Uh, I think Oklahoma is a much easier, you know, transition. But by the same token, I mean, I just—it's hard for me to imagine the Oklahoma Oklahoma not being in the Big Twelve. And they've always been in either the Southwest Conference, the big, no, they actually they were never in the Southwest. They've always been in the Big Eight or the Big Twelve. That's just kind of naturally where they are. And they've got, you know, I guess they've lost some of their rivals like Nebraska and Colorado and things like that. But they've always had that. You know, they were tied with Texas, with Oklahoma State, Kansas State, all those kind of teams out in Texas. And I just, I just don't see it. I really, I mean, like I said, this is all believe it when I see it. I certainly hope it does not happen. You know, I think I've told you before, I, I've never been a fan of conference realignment. I really wish that we could, quite frankly, go back to 2010 before Nebraska um, left the Big 12. That's the biggest mistake that Nebraska ever made. They've been terrible in the Big 12, I mean, the Big 10. They've never done anything. They haven't even made a Big 10 championship game. And you look at what they did in the Big 12, I mean, they played for national championships. They made the Big 12 championship game many times. I mean, even within Dominican Sioux, they made the Big 12 championship game. And since they've gone yeah. to the Big 10, where they don't have natural rivals, not a lot of natural like fan support or interest in them, they've gone downhill, and it's no longer the blue blood that it once was. You're right. The last year they were in the Big 12 in the 2009-2010 season, they lost to Texas on that last second field goal in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, and they they've never even been close in the in the Big Ten to achieving that kind of that kind of stability and that kind of success. So I, I I'm not a big fan of it either. I, you know, and I hate seeing another one that I hate Joe is I hate seeing Colorado in the Pac-12. That bothers me. It's always bothered me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember being a kid in Colorado, like had a team that should have won a national championship. The team that beat Nebraska in the Big Twelve championship game, they they won a national championship in the '90s when they were in the Big Eight. And Nebraska and Colorado has just been a kind of a pathetic football program ever since then too. I think they made like one Pac-12 championship game, but it's just not. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't. Utah hasn't been as good, you know, with Cal Whittingham since they joined Pac-12. It just feels weird when you, when you move these teams around to different conferences. And you know, Joe, let's talk about the worst of the worst, and that's West Virginia playing in the Big 12. What a joke that is. I mean, they don't have a team that is in their conference that's within, what, 700 miles? I mean, are you kidding me? It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, geographically, it just doesn't make any sense. You're right. And I remember one of the worst examples that never happened, thankfully, was back when we had the old Big East with college football and not just basketball, you know, with teams like UConn and um, Pittsburgh and Boston College where they joined the ACC. 
there was talk like 10 years ago that the Big East was going to add San Diego State <laughs> and they were just going to have to change the conference to Big America instead of the Big East. Well, I mean, in just that point, like, you're never going to have fans go to away games ever, pretty much. Like, you know, as someone that's an SEC fan, if I want to go to Tuscaloosa to watch an Iron Bowl, it's three and a half hours away from me. If I want to go yeah. watch Auburn take on LSU and Baton Rouge, it's a two and a half hour drive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like about the worst drive that I have is the teams that we've added on. You know what I'm saying? You get outside right. of the original ones. Arkansas is a rough drive. They're not an original SEC team. Missouri's ridiculous. That's way out of the way. A&M is, is pretty far out of the way. But you take out those teams that got added, including South Carolina. That's also not an original SEC team. Everything else from me in Mobile, Alabama, is less than a six-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it that's should be. That's a good be. point. It's like otherwise, it's like welcome to the life of a Hawaii football fan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Hawaii, they can't drive to any games. So it's a home game, they can <laughs> see it. Otherwise, you're taking a flight. Yeah. And Missouri exactly. is like that now. And it's sad because Missouri used to have that cool rivalry with Pittsburgh. I remember like Kansas. You know, Kansas. I mean, West Virginia used to have cool games with, like Syracuse and, you know, and, and all these other kind of teams that were in the Big East. And now they just don't have anybody. And, you know, it's hard for me to get excited about a West Virginia-Oklahoma game because there's no history with it. And there's, like I said, there's no connections there. There's no connections between the people, between the cultures. I mean, it's complete It's complete uh, throwing, you know, throwing darts at the wall. Right. Precisely. So, yeah, not a fan of it myself either. But, but you know, it should be an interesting uh, SEC year. I mean, you gotta you gotta think that Alabama and Georgia and Florida are kind of among the favorites. I would say Florida's a step below them because I'll be honest. If you try and sit here and tell me that Emory Jones is going to be an All SEC quarterback, I'd say you don't have eyes. Um, it's just not you know he, he's not he's not a good enough passer, and so those are the teams. You know, you got your wild cards. Auburn is always a wild card, but it could be even more of a wild card with you seeing a third year with uh, Bo Nix and with the fact that uh, Demetrius Robertson, uh, formerly the number one wide receiver in America from Georgia, transferred to Auburn. Sixth-year senior could be a good pickup right there. I'm kind of interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, that will be interesting with the new coaching staff to see how Nix looks. Additionally, uh, you mentioned Georgia. want to see how JT Daniels looks in a full season under his belt. In Athens, and then Bryce Young taking over for Mike Mac Jones at Alabama. Can he perform well as the new offensive coordinator? And then I think about you know our other team, Ole Miss, with uh, Matt Corral. You know he's going to be the first team All SEC quarterback selection for the preseason. Can he live up to that expectation? Um, I will say the player that I feel like not enough people are going to concentrate on for Ole Miss is Jerion Ely. Mm-hmm. I really think Ely could have a special season and probably Ole Miss would go as far as he can carry them as well. Yeah, I think so too, Joe. I mean, I think the running game for Ole Miss is going to be a big deal because I think Matt Corral needs to not have everything on his shoulders. He's shown a tendency to kind of choke in big games, and I think it would be important for you to have a running attack that you can you can focus on when you need that so you're not having him throw the ball 50 times a game and, and give a lot of opportunities for interceptions. 
And Joe, I think another big story that I'd like to see is what can uh, – talking about A&M earlier, how can Jimbo follow up what he did last year? He no longer has Kellen Mond. Um, he lost a bevy of wide receivers and tight ends. Has he recruited well enough the last few years, which on paper he has, to really continue what he has? And can he take the next step by beating someone like an Alabama or a Georgia and actually making an SEC championship game? They're certainly paying him enough to think that he should. And can he, you know, make that next step where he doesn't even have to have this 18 playoff to get into the college football playoff? That's a big question. I got to think he's one of the biggest fans of that extended playoff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you think about it, he might have gotten in, what, two out of the first three years that he's been at AM. I think he was borderline a top eight team the first year he was there. Right. So, but yes, AM, of course, is the biggest proponent of no additions of Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, I think they're okay. And I think that's absolute rumors. Yeah. Well, and when we come back, we're going to do a quick locker room talk, which Joe and I haven't done one in a while, and I'm kind of excited about our quick little subject that we're going to talk about. Uh, SEC Media Days, excited to see it, especially excited to see Brian Harson's first Media Days and see how Bo Nix stands up with some of the pressure of, uh, well, I'm surely going to be some uncomfortable questions when it comes to his accuracy, his consistency that went downhill from his freshman year to his sophomore year, and most importantly, how is he dealing with the competition that has been brought in by T.J. Finley, the transfer quarterback from LSU. A lot of what-ifs that Bo Nix is going to be dealing with tomorrow. As an Auburn fan, I look forward to seeing his moxie and how he's able to deal with what are going to be some very difficult questions. That, that'll definitely be fascinating. And uh, check us out on Twitter, DJ Sports Show. Catch all of our episodes on Spotify. Look up the Dan Sports Show on Spotify. Catch us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. with brand new episodes. And as always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm sure.